This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Tuesday, October 22nd. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and joining me in the studio today via the magic of Skype, it's Mr. Asit Sharma. Asit, it's been a while since you and I have hooked up on the show, man. How's everything going? It has. Everything is going very well. I would like to say that in the meantime, I've been training with Shaolin monks or or something exotic like that, (laughs) but I have been uh, hitting hitting the trails for a few... uh, runs and trying to keep in shape. How have you been? Oh, uh, well, you know, a lot of the same. Uh, if it's if it's not back and forth with family stuff, uh, you know, doing a little painting on the side here and there at home to keep myself entertained and, and trying trying to keep in shape as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see the falls here. It's it was it was a long, hot summer. So finally, the weather started to cool down a little bit up here. Yeah, absolutely. So, on today's Consumer Goods Show, we've got uh, some sleeper stocks that we want to talk about today. We're going to take a closer look at Land's End and Herman Miller. Uh, We're also going to take a look at the latest news here in Under Armour. You may have seen they have a new CEO who's getting ready to uh, protect and hopefully grow their house. And we'll also take a look at some of the companies reporting earnings later this week uh, and uh, talk about some of the things we're looking for from those earnings report. Uh, Asa, let's go ahead and just get things kicked off here with Land's End. I think that probably most listeners are familiar with the name, with the brand, Maybe maybe our, our younger listeners might not be as familiar with the history of Lands End, where it has been, and and, and you know perhaps where it's going. Uh, but but let's talk about Lands End for a second because this is a retailer that for a long time had an established relationship with Sears. Uh, we obviously know where Sears is these days, and it's not a place where we typically want our investments to be. But Lands End, actually, there there could be some light at the end of the tunnel here for Lands End. Talk to us a little bit about what you think uh, the future has in store for the company. Sure, I mean it's a very interesting company. It is a small cap stock. Uh, had a long fall from grace and now trades, I think, with a market capitalization of about $250 million. This was founded in 1963 as a mail order company, and it specialized in sailboat hardware and equipment, and from there branched out into uh, sort of sailing-based, sailing-thematic clothing. And it was a big mail order catalog back in the day. I remember my sister, who is a fashion maven, uh, she ordered me a couple of mock turtlenecks from the Land's End catalog when we were teenagers because she hated the way I looked whenever her <laughs> friends were around. And that was a quick, um, not cheap, but not overly expensive way to make me look presentable. So it, if you remember, Jason, I, I think we're roughly about the same age. It used to be, uh, you know, quite a big thing to get this catalog in the mail and, and flip through and maybe order some some clothing. Oh yeah, I remember those days very well. So uh, they did fairly well as a private company. Eventually um, went public and then were purchased by Sears in 2002 for two billion dollars. Sears continued to run it as a mail order business and also um, as it expanded into e-commerce. But the major change it made was to introduce Land's End stores within Sears locations. So, this is the stores within a store concept. Yeah. 
Sears, as we know, got into financial troubles, and one of the many steps they took to free up some capital was to spin Land's End off in April of 2014. But the two companies didn't part ways completely. Land's End continued to operate 236 uh, Land's End stores. They call them Land's End shops at Sears uh, as of 2015. And this would prove to be a, a real weight on the company's earnings in the coming years. And as you said, we all know the fate of Sears' locations over that time period, the decline in traffic, the inventory problems they had, and just the onslaught of e-commerce, which ripped the heart out of Sears. So, if you look at Land's End's earnings between 2014, annual net profit margin dropped from about 4% a year to a negative 8%. Ouch. And the stock just careened. It was at a high of $55 in December of 2014, bounced all the way down to an all-time low of $7.24 last month mm. on September 3rd, um, before bouncing really hard off that level and nearly doubling when uh, Land's End released its fiscal second quarter 2019 earnings report, which was you know quite a good report. Um, it's trading around twelve dollars per share today. You know, interestingly, with Land's End, one of the things because I every once in a while, um, and, and we still get Land's End catalogs in the mail at our house, and um, my wife, uh, much like your sister, probably thinks I could dress a little bit better. I'm sure, and I'm, I'm not known for really going too far out there on the on the wardrobe side of things. But every once in a while, she'll very thoughtfully. Um, order me, you know, a couple of things from from here and there, and uh, you know, she's she's pulled in a few things from Lands End for me, pullovers and whatnot that I I actually really like. I'm not really married to any particular brand today. I mean, I I like I do like Under Armour stuff a lot just because it fits and it, it's it's quality stuff. I tend to wear a lot of jeans, but you know, when it gets to be this weather, especially those Lands End pullovers start coming in handy. And the one thing I like about Lands End, it's it's very, uh, it's it's not overstated, right? I mean, you're getting it; it's fairly plain Jane. You don't get some big logo on it. Uh, It's just good, classic looking uh, stuff. And I feel like maybe we're coming to a time where that could be an advantage for a company like this. I think it's a great point. Um, sort of understated, but timeless clothing is coming back into fashion, especially yeah. as the whole whole buzz about going to the malls for millennials has just faded away. And I think millennials have a, a real sense of style. They like um, you know style and an aesthetic look that lasts. So I think it has that uh, sort of momentum that can help it come back. Um, let's talk about what it's doing to actually make a turnaround after talking about how badly the stock has been hit. Uh, the first major thing that uh, Land's End has done is to get rid of all those Sears leases. Uh, from 236 stores, which I mentioned, it has gradually uh, pulled out of leases, let them expire, and it's down to, um, I think, 37 leases, all of which will expire at this year end, and they're not going to renew any of those. So that's pretty and much they're going to cut yeah. that. They're going to cut that Sears relationship basically completely off. Then is what you're saying? Yeah, it's it's finally yeah. finished, and it's been you know a drag on revenue and earnings. So one of the elements you know we look for in a turnaround are the things which are dragging the stock down. How can management combat them or just cut the bleeding? So there you go. You know it's time to move forward, and Land's End has embarked on uh, really. Reestablishing a retail presence, and it has 21 stores. It's going to add four more this year, 
These are contemporary looking stores that are opened in fairly affluent areas. And they're going back to their roots at, to present a product, a curated product when you walk into the store that's slightly higher end, not really a luxury product, but um, something that uh, people of, of affluence may want to buy and, and keep a couple of pieces in their wardrobe. Um, they also have these on-site kiosks, which help you order merchandise if it's not in the store. And each store has a pretty small footprint of you know 5,000 square feet, so they're economical. They're not producing a big economic drag. Um, what do you think about this transition from sort of the musty old Sears retail into <laughs> a little bit of their own stores? What's your take on that, Jason? I mean, I, I, I personally think that's the move to make, right? I mean, I think you, you look at that and you think, well, if they went the other direction and tried to deepen that relationship or, or link up with another concept out there, I mean, that just opens you to that same old risk that, that you, you've had before. I mean, clearly, distribution is is much different today than it was back in the day when Land's End was founded and, and prospering, right? I mean, now, I mean, you're, you're, we're at a point in time now where a lot of people can just order their clothes on their phone um, and have them shipped, right? Because, I mean, I think I'm a good example of that. Like, I mean, I know what I like, I, I know what fits, and so I tend to just order a lot of that stuff, and I can order it from my phone. I mean, we also live in the age where I think more and more people are happy with the quality of store brand clothing. I mean, look at look at what Costco is doing with the Kirkland brand. Look at what Amazon Absolutely. is doing with their Amazon Basics brand. I mean, having a couple of those Amazon basic shirts myself. I mean, they fit well. The quality's there. They're inexpensive, and they're delivered right to my doorstep in no time. Uh, not to mention all of these different subscription services where you can have your uh, you can have your your wardrobe delivered right to your front door as well. You keep what you like. You send back what you don't. So I think uh, you know going going kind of skating where the puck is going. It sounds like is what Landsend is doing and 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 utilizing not only a modest store base but also uh, being able to reach out to consumers uh, via the online presence. I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think so. And and they've actually been able to transition that whole catalog business online. They still send out direct mail catalogs, but. You don't call up a service representative anymore or send back something in the mail to get your clothes. Most of the time, you're just going straight to a URL and ordering those clothes. About 72% of their $1.5 billion in annual revenue is through e-commerce. So, that's a stable revenue stream for them. And I think, too, they they were an early adopter of e-commerce, actually, one of the first stores to sort of jump into e-commerce. And that was a developing line of business before they were acquired by Sears. And I would be interested to see if the subscription models that, you know, like Stitch, that are really catching on, Stitch Fix, I, I would be interested to see if they also dabble a little bit of that in the, the coming years. I want to briefly talk about uh, an interesting business segment, which makes up about 20% of revenue now, um, which they call Outfitters. And this is a segment which maybe has some potential where they're making uniforms for big corporate enterprises. Lens ended a launch of Delta Airlines uniforms last year, which was uh, pretty good to um, the top line. And it's following that up this year with a fourth quarter, fiscal fourth quarter 2019 launch of American Airlines new uniforms, huh. uh, which is going to be worth about $40 million to $50 million in new revenue for the company. And I don't know if listeners, if you heard about all the controversy surrounding American Airlines uh, uniforms. Uh, this is now about a year, year and a half ago. But uh, basically, American Airlines was seeking to uh, have new uniforms that its uh, 
flight attendants and crew, all staff would be comfortable in. And, and what they ordered turned out to um, not be optimal. Oh. And even was, some people thought it was giving them skin rashes. But Ooh. the, the up, upside is that um, Land Zen landed up with a new contract. And I think it's a really interesting fledgling line of business, which could turn into more meaningful revenue stream um, in the coming years. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, if you're going you're gonna to outfit a, a, a global staff of employees. I mean, you got to make sure you get that right. I mean, that uh, <laughs> it takes me. I mean, I'm, yeah. I don't know how, how much of a Seinfeld fan you are, but it makes me think of George Costanza's genius idea to change the Yankees uniforms out to cotton, and, and then they, they <laughs> the uniforms shrink, and the players can't can't move around in them. So yeah, you get it's it seems pretty uh, simple, but yeah, there, there's you got to get in get in there and, and, and make the right uh, make the right decisions, or it can be costly. Um, okay, so I mean, bottom line, you have a, a thumbs up on lands and and caps. Seems like you are somewhat optimistic of their chances. Yeah, I'll just say a few things about why I think it's a interesting and a good purchase. Uh, if you look at their trailing 12-month price-to-earnings ratio, it looks high. It's trading at 40 times um, past 12 months' earnings. But if you look forward, because of the earnings growth the company has had, its forward PE is uh, 21. For a small-cap company, that's actually um, not very pricey. They've got a manageable long-term debt load. Uh, they've got working capital that's $224 million. Um, that's excess of assets, current assets over current liabilities, and their total debt is only three hundred eighty million, and that's less than the inventory they keep on their books. Um, so I think that if you do look at you know manageable risks, including a potential slowdown in the economy, which all retailers are, are subject to, um, which could impede sales, I think this is interesting. It's not quite a value play, even though it's been beating down, beaten down. You can't say it's vastly undervalued, but a lot of the downside risk with Sears is out of the stock. So from here, there's probably stability and upside potential if the company can you know, extend those e-commerce sales, build out those stores, and sell this uniforms business to a few more really large-scale companies. What are your thoughts? Well, I do like that they have eliminated the Sears risk, and I do like that it is a relatively... Uh, the, the brand itself isn't really flashy. I think it's fairly just—I don't want to say innocuous, but I think it's just—it's sort of—it's a brand that just is—it's not flashy. It's not out in front of you. There's not that fashion risk that you would probably see with a lot of those teen retailers, for example. Um, so I, I think it's—I think it's—you know—they're clothes that fit any age, any stage of life. Man, woman, girl, boy. I mean, I feel like you got a lot of opportunity there uh, from a market opportunity perspective. So, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like they've they've made some good uh, good decisions to put them to put themselves in the position they're in today. Let's move over to uh, furniture. You know, nice segue. We'll go from fashion to furniture. Um, and yeah, this is a company I think is is. I was glad to see you put this. Uh, out here for us to talk about today, Herman Miller. You know, I, I actually have been to a Herman Miller store once. Uh, it was a few years ago. We were looking at some furniture, I think, for uh, the office here at Full HQ, and we had gone to a Herman Miller in DC. I was just part of a group that got to go over there and offer some feedback. And man, I'll tell you what, you talk about outfitting a staff, a global staff. I mean, it's the same thing when you talk about buying furniture for a you know global HQ. 
it is not a one-size-fits-all. There is a lot out there from which to choose, and particularly today right. when you talk about the ergonomics of it all, I mean, it's a way different world now. And I was really astounded when I saw that Herman Miller store. Yeah, they are surprising in the the depth and the breadth of really uh, functional products, which, again, we were talking about timeless um, fashion. Let's talk about timeless design. Many of these uh, core products were designed in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, but they were just so gorgeous, they continue to sell well today. And Herman Miller has made a business out of outfitting uh, all types of corporate renovations, new office spaces, uh, and they have a competitor in Steelcase, which is not quite a familiar name, but between these two companies, they are riding a wave of redesign that has everything to do with the rise of co-working, flexible office spaces. Um, if listeners are lucky enough to visit full headquarters, uh, you'll see this really amazing, gigantic, multi-floor collaboration space, the way I think of it. <laughs> and so that type of aesthetic is, is really... Um, has been taken up by companies which are very forward-thinking and innovative. Its products fit well within that. Why this is a sleeper stock, let me, let me read you guys some numbers. So uh, this is a small-cap company, but it's not a tiny company. It's got a $2.7 billion market cap. The um, company's been around since 1905. Total return year-to-date, 56%, 42% um, positive over the last trailing 12 months. But when you start ex- uh, expanding that window out, uh, Herman Miller is averaging a 25% total return yearly over the last three years, 23% total return yearly over the last five years, and 24% annually over the last 10 years. So investors who reinvest their dividends, they're basically doubling their money every four years over the last decade or so. Um, but <laughs> beware, this is a volatile stock. It has a beta of 1.8. And what that simply means is if you look at the whole market as a baseline and call that a beta or sort of a volatility measure of 1.0, then Herman Miller is almost double the volatility of the market. If you look at their stock chart, you will see that. So those returns may be earned with great returns may be earned with a little bit of uh, heartburn. Yeah. I can imagine. You know what's interesting to me is though with a company like this, and I mean it's not the biggest company in the world, but you're you're right. I mean it's not a small cap really, kind of kind of making its way out of that small cap space at least. But True. to see that they pay a dividend, I think is, I mean to me that's that's pretty telling. And when you look at the financials. I mean, this is not a dividend that they're stretching to pay either. I mean, they keep that pay that payout ratio is is always. I mean, it's thirty five, thirty percent, twenty five percent. I mean, that that obviously they can afford that dividend, and so it's just you know when you I don't know when you think office furniture in this world of SaaS companies and these tech companies that scale and these ninety percent gross margins, this is not that kind of a business, but. They clearly make a very quality product. They hold a reputation in the space as a leader, and and you see that in the financials. Their margins are strong and stable. I mean, again, paying out a dividend on a consistent basis. Their cash flow positive by a mile. I mean, financially speaking, there are a lot of things to like about this business. Absolutely, and uh, one thing that I think you mentioned is sort of this potential. It, it, a solid company that has very stable cash flow pays out the dividend. Not enormous potential, but potential to grow into a growing market space. Um, 
this is a, a company which is doing about 7.5% of annual revenue growth. Uh, let me speak just for a moment about how their business is structured. And I think we neglected to mention for those listeners who um, are trying to think of their products, we didn't mention the Herman Miller Aeron chair, which may be their most famous product, but also the Eames Lounge chair and the Marshmallow Sofa. If you've ever heard of these products or seen them, <laughs> now maybe that rings more of a bell. Um, the company operates in three segments, North America, international, and retail. The North American segment is about 6-8% of revenue, followed by international at 17%, and the last 15% is supplied by retail. They've got a store called Design Within Reach, which is consumer-oriented, uh, uh, which you can walk in. If you want a Herman Miller chair, you can go buy it there. Um, one of the reasons the stock is volatile is because it really depends, their business depends on order flow. In other words, which big companies, Fortune 500 companies, middle market companies are doing renovation projects or moving into new office space, that tends to vary from quarter to quarter. So, because that number can be lumpy, the revenue can be a little bit lumpy. But as I said, you know, once you just throw everything into the wash year after year, the numbers uh, fall out positive cash flow, positive um, revenue, positive earnings. I also want to mention um, a couple of things that the company is doing to really take advantage of all of the rise of collaboration and flexible workspaces. Um, it's made a couple of acquisitions in the last few years. It bought a Danish accent furniture specialist called Hay Furnishings and a Dutch collaborative furniture manufacturer called Mars Living Walls. And these are actually solid glass walls that you can um, configure a room within a room if you need privacy. Um, they make beautiful uh, glass walls for contemporary office spaces. So, th these are the types of spaces that Herman Miller sort of needs to move into uh, to keep up with changing taste in office design, and they're obviously doing that. Um, finally, I want to just mention it has a new CEO in Andy Owen. She is a career executive with Gap and the Banana Republic, um, who just completed her first year in August at Herman Miller. And she's been really good at um, helping the company up its uh, profile in, in the consumer space. And she is expanding the number of design within reach stores that are out there in the marketplace. So expect to see more of these uh, when you're driving around, again, in maybe the affluent areas where you might see that Lansen uh, <laughs> new store that we were talking about. So a lot of great things going on for it. Um, risks include competition from Steelcase, which I mentioned. And they are also vulnerable to a potential recession because that tends to hit projects like uh, office renovation and um, you know moving into new office space, for example. Yeah, no question about that. And I mean, you, you mentioned recession, and the other thing that got me thinking was this WeWork fallout and how big of a mess this has turned out to be. And I, I'm not I'm not drawing a connection between Herman Miller and WeWork, but you have to figure that those WeWork spaces are furnished with something. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Who knows how robust that business is going to be in in, in the near future? But uh, I mean, there are wow, there just there are a lot of things to like about this business. I mean, just given the the nature of what they do, the market opportunity that's out there, and it does seem like it's it's a fairly it's a fairly robust refreshment cycle. It does seem like offices are willing to spend in order to keep their work environments. Current and fresh and new, and make your employees feel. I mean, there's a big focus, obviously, on culture and having creating a workplace where people are happy to be. And and I mean, I think it's it. We talk about that all the time here. I mean, Full HQ, 
this is a great place. I mean, people love to be here. I think that's why we are able to get the best out of so many because we've created a place where people like to be. And, and part of that is, hey, we've we've got a very diverse furniture assortment here. I mean, we got everything from beanbags to standing desks and everything in between, which, by the way, let me tell you, I've got one of those Veradesk standing desks. I mean, and I vowed after my time in the golf business, because there's so much standing in the golf shop involved there, that I was never going to have a standing desk. But man, did my tune change. I love that Veradesk. So, I was, I was happy to see that Herman Miller has a has a presence in that standing desk space as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I think it's a really sharp insight too. I mean, corporate expenditures, if you look at the list of uh, what's important, that really tends to bubble up to the surface, to the top cyclically. As you said, after a few years, savvy managers are like, let's replace all this stuff because we want to attract the best people and, and keep these great employees um, happy and motivated. So it is something that uh, is rarely ignored in, in terms of keeping great employees. All right, Asit, the question that uh, remains then, if uh, you get to choose one one over the other here, what are you going? You going Land's End or are you going Herman Miller? You know, there's a lot of upside in Land's End if all the pieces come together. But I will say I would go with Herman Miller. Their forward PE ratio is only 12, meaning that they've got some earnings um, a multiple expansion that's available to them. And they've got a track record. They just really have impressed me with how year in and year out they've managed to grow that stock price with everything else we talked about. So, you know, if I had to choose one, I, I like them both. I would go with Herman Miller. Yeah, I'm and right. You. I'm right on. You, I'm on board with you there. I mean, I, I like them both. I think there's a really interesting story there with Lands End. Um, you know, I, I think there's a future there. But if, if we're talking about investments, and we're talking about making money, and that's what we're—that's what we're, you know, here for. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think I'd have to be—I'd have to be going with Herman Miller as well. Uh, and now, hey, it's as good a time as any to remind our listeners that this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. A Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Molecule's technology has been verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule gives allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all-new experience, and its breakthrough PECO technology crosses a range of products, and it provides a solution for the entire home when it comes to air purification. So no matter the size of your room, you can choose the option that's best for your space, whether that be the Molecule Air for large rooms or the Molecule Air Mini for smaller rooms. So you're probably thinking air purification. Okay, what's changed? Well, a lot has changed, actually. The HEPA filter that's been used to clean your air was developed in the 1940s, but Molecule has created a new filtration system that actually destroys pollutants on a molecular level. Molecule is easy to use and has a clean, sleek, and modern design that fits any room of your home. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and promo code FOOL10. Okay, Asit, this morning we saw some news break that we wanted to roll into the show here. Uh, Kevin Plank, the founder and CEO of Under Armour, is going to step down 
And President and Chief Operating Officer Patrick Frisk will become the company's CEO, and this is going to be effective January 1st, 2020. Uh, so Frisk will serve as the CEO and the president of the company. He'll report to Plank. And Plank is going to step aside and become the executive chairman and brand chief of the company. So he's still maintaining a presence with the business, but really this is um, a situation where it looks like the the leader, the 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 CEO, the person who's going to take this company hopefully to the next level. Uh, it, it's going to be changing hands here, and Patrick uh, Frisk is going to be the man. Um, I, I tell you, when I first read this news this morning, I said I I personally think this is a very, very good move. And it sounds like it was something that Plank ultimately wanted. He said this was his decision. Uh, he's watching an interview with him earlier today. It seems like he's really excited about this opportunity. Um, what were your feelings when, we, when, when, when you saw this news? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there are some pluses and minuses, and this may be good all around um, on a couple of fronts. One, uh, you know, Kevin Plank has had some controversies, made some controversial statements, um, controversial actions in the last year, and that tends to distract from the business at hand. Um, and Patrick Frisk is an operations guy. The, the analogy is uh, when Kevin Johnson took over Starbucks, he was also the, the operations guy at Starbucks who had made everything happen beneath Howard Schultz, the visionary. So we have this sort of same equation. And I think Frisk can do a pretty good job. He, you know, he's executed their growth strategy over the last three to five years. Um, he's also got um, you know, a great love for the brand, and, and I think he can make it competitive. Sort of the minuses that you know, we might look at is, does he have the vision? Um, does he have the sort of same keen eye for product innovation? Um, does he have that sort of cutthroat competitiveness no. that um, you know Plank brings? So I think all in all, it's positive. And one thing it does do, when something like this happens, when when a CEO realizes, look, maybe I should step back, stay involved with the company, let someone else run the day to day, and try to you know help coach strategy, it can sort of down the line clear up the clouds for everyone involved in the company, and it and clears away distractions probably unneeded distractions that they've had over the last uh, you know, year or so to just focus on winning market share. But you know, we'll have to see. Time is obviously um, the proof here uh, in, in this transition. Yeah, and I mean, there is a blueprint out there that tells us this can work. I mean, again, it doesn't mean it will, but you look back to Chipotle and the troubles that they had for so long. Eventually, Steve L stepping down, allowing Brian Nickel to come in and main and, and, and take the CEO role on. Um, that's worked out very well. Now, I think a couple of reasons why that worked out very well. Obviously, Nickel having experience in the industry uh, didn't hurt. Uh, I think it was also a matter of of else kind of knowing his new role and staying in his lane and not mm. getting in the way, so to speak. I think that's going to be the real key here. Is Plank going to be able to stay in his lane? They both have pretty big egos. Uh, Steve Elts showed that it's okay to put that ego aside uh, for the for the greater good. Hopefully, um, Mr. Plank will feel the same way. But like you said, time will tell. Um, we've got earnings coming up here this week. Earnings Palooza now in full force. We've got lots of companies every day to just next week. It's going to be hundreds and hundreds of them. It seems on a, on a daily basis. But we've got a few companies that are announcing here later this week. We wanted to bring four to your attention that are on our radar. 
and mention just a couple of things we're looking for them. Uh, well, let's go ahead and start with uh, O'Reilly Automotive. They're announcing on October 23rd. Asit, uh, what's your quick take on O'Reilly? Oh, 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 O'Reilly. <laughs> I, could, I can't get that jingle out of my head. Um, what I'm looking for is basically uh, solid comps, solid comparable sales. Last quarter, the company had eh, um, moderate comps growth of 3.4% because of what they called unseasonably cool and rainy weather. So I want to see those that those customers came back through the door, and I want to see these comps rebound maybe to the higher end of three to five percent. Also, they were on um, you know this track to build out 200 new stores this year. Um, they did about 43 in the second quarter, which brought them to 107 stores year to date. They're behind schedule, also blaming the weather on this. So I want to hear that management said, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're back on track. We opened a substantial number of new stores and uh, we'll hit 200 by year. And so those are the two big things that I'm looking for. For O'Reilly, stock is up about 19% year to date and uh, it's outperformed some of its uh, peers in the auto parts space. All right. Well, on the 24th, uh, Callaway is going to be releasing their earnings report. And Callaway, for those of you who are not familiar with the company, this is golf equipment, gear, and apparel. Um, so, you know, listen, I was in the golf business for many, many years before I uh, ever made it here to Full HQ, and I've played golf all my life. So, it's a business that's always interested me. Uh, by the same token, I know that golf is a very tough business and can usually be uh, a tough one on the margins as well. Not a whole heck of a lot of pricing power, with the a few exceptions, it seems like. But Callaway itself, the business has done a very good job, I think, in a tough time where golf has, has been a little bit on, on the, the decline. But it does seem like uh, the numbers are starting to, to tell a different story here. Maybe some people are taking up uh, the game, giving it another shot. But I think the interesting thing with Callaway Golf, and one of the reasons why I think we're seeing some of those numbers come back up, Callaway owns about 14% interest in Top Golf International. And Top Golf is that driving range where you got there and you just hit balls at these targets and they kind of gamify it. And it's a it's a bit of like a Buffalo Wild Wings, but for <laughs> for golf. You know, you're gonna go there and have have a couple of beers, some wings, they got sports on TV, you're hitting golf balls with your friends. So it's a neat experience. Um, there's this potential that Top Golf is looking at a possible IPO here in 2020, and honestly, if I'm if I'm looking at Callaway and Top Golf, I'm more interested in Top Golf, uh, to be honest with you, Asset. But but I do uh, see that the two companies together right now, you get a lot of information from the earnings uh, reports there, and so uh, that's what I'm going to be looking for uh, from this report they have coming up here. Uh, let's go into another one that reports on the 24th, and it's a company that we've highlighted on this show before. You and I have uh, Tractor Supply. Talk to me about that one. Yeah, so Tractor Supply. Um, very interesting company. It's a retailer, and it caters to the rural lifestyle. Uh, this company has just about everything when you walk in the door. If you live in a rural area, from farm implements to uh, fashionable clothing for that lifestyle, um, it even has a subsidiary called PetSense, uh, which caters to this really explosive um, revenue stream in the CG consumer goods space of, of pets. We can't seem to stop spending on our pets, but that's good business for companies <laughs> hey, like man, I've Tractor got Supply. Three dogs at um, home. I understand the spending on <laughs> there pets. You all right. go. <laughs> um, so Tractor Supply is um, it stock has done okay over the last trailing twelve months. It's uh, appreciated about nine percent. It trades at twenty times uh, forward earnings. Let's look at comps again. They were pretty decent in the second quarter, three point 
uh, 2% over the prior year. Not bad for a consumer goods retailer in this space. I'm looking for um, margins, which are typically around 34 35% to be healthy this quarter. Uh, they've had this improving uh, trend of an improving product mix and good pricing management. Um, along with some in-store innovations, um, technology that they use to uh, really help customers find the inventory. And you know, if you can't find what you're looking for in, in their store, they've got these mobile hand devices which help them locate it at a nearby store and get delivered. So all these different initiatives are really making those margins healthy. I'm looking for those margins to improve a little bit. Um, this quarter, I think comps will fall into three to four percent range, and I'm looking for uh, revenue to be in that mid single digit lane, um, somewhere between six to seven percent, which is uh, incidentally their year end target for the complete the, and total year. Um, only other thing that I probably will you know look for if you have time, listeners, to listen to the conference call or read up on the transcript later at fool.com is uh, how that uh, PetSense development is coming along. They've got a goal to add about 10 to 15 new PetSense stores this year. It's a lucrative category. They have a base of about 180 stores. I'm always interested to hear those plans, because that's sort of like um, gravy on the top of their margin, uh, this whole pet business. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking for. Tractor Supply, very interesting business. If you're not familiar with it, uh, listeners encourage you to take a look. Yeah, well, I mean, listeners, any listeners out there that know me know I love the pet market. So uh, yeah, when you, that's that's a good point to bring up there. That can be a really that can be a real nice bonus. Uh, and finally, on October 24th, we've also got Amazon reporting, and you know, it's always really with Amazon. It's about the top line, how much they're growing that revenue top line, um, the consolidated top line. Uh, so, paying attention to that revenue growth and also getting any signs of what they're seeing coming down the, the pike here for the holiday season. Um, that's always a key time of year for a company like Amazon. Also, I, you know, I keep a, a spreadsheet of the operating margins uh, quarter by quarter over the, over the last several years for the company. And so, breaking it down from the domestic, the North American versus their international business versus the Amazon Web Services side of the business, it's, it's, it's funny to watch those numbers trend because you've got the the North American business which is nice and mature now and you're bringing in those sort of mid-level operating margins the international business still negative um, as they build that out and then you've got the AWS side of the business which is you know 25 26 20 28% operating margins and that really is just such a nice uh, a nice bonus for this business um they do play their cards very close to the vest. You don't get a whole heck of a lot from the call, but but it's still always one you learn a little bit something new from every quarter. So looking forward to that one. Asit, it was great catching up with you. Thanks for joining us this week. Pleasure. Thanks so much, Jason. Okay, and as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Asit Sharma, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.